So today we are in the book of Genesis. And, and as you can see, uh, we, we, we have really just an amazing, amazing thing happening today uh, with, with Abram. And I'm sure you noticed in the passage, he is not called Abraham yet. That, that, that happens later, um, Genesis 17. And, and so at this point, he is still Abram. And, and we see God just showing his love for Abram. We see God just gently reminding, uh, lovingly reminding Abram of God's faithfulness, God's love, God's covenant, uh, just that he is Abram's God, that he will continue to be faithful to him. And so as you think about this passage, we want to really think about how God shows his love, how he shows his commitment to Abram, how he shows Abram that he will keep his promises. And that's so important because in this passage, we're going to see Abram, he has doubts. It's hard for him to trust God. It's not that he doesn't trust God. He does trust God and he has faith. And yet, as we see in the New Testament as well, it's this idea of, I believe, please help my unbelief. You know, there are times in our lives where we trust the Lord, of course, and yet life gets hard. Things suddenly happen in our lives that get so difficult. Or maybe there are things that have been happening for a long time that continue to be difficult and it just kind of eats away at us. And sometimes, even though I believe God is good, even though I praise Him, even though I sing songs like 10,000 Reasons and I just say, bless the Lord on my soul, and even though I praise Him and I worship and I trust Him, and yet life happens, struggles happen, difficulties happen, and I, and, and we, we sometimes have a hard time trusting God during those times, or we doubt Him during those times. And we see a moment like that here for, for Abel, where he has a hard time, even though he believes, he has a hard time fully trusting, and he has certain doubts, and he addresses it to God, and God just responds with loving kindness. He responds by just confirming his promises to Abram. And it's such a wonderful passage for us to see, and it's, I think it's helpful. It was definitely helpful for Abram, but also I think it's helpful for us to see how God responds. But let's give a little context to this passage. Um, Obviously, in Genesis chapter 12, we see what we would call the call of Abram. Abram is, is brought out from his, his land and, you know, in this passage as well, um, that is addressed. But in Genesis chapter 12, we see the call of Abram. And the Lord says to Abram in Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right? So, so he tells Abram, just leave. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house. Just go. Now, he doesn't actually tell Abram where to go. He just says to go to the land that I will show you. He's promising him, obviously, land, and he says just to go. And it's crazy because Abram actually goes. Now, if somebody said to, to me or you, hey, just go. Leave everything behind. You know, leave your job behind. Leave your father's house behind. Right? Leave just everything you know behind and just go. I wonder how many of us would just go. I think we would want to know details. Where am I going? Do you have a job lined up for me? Do you have a home lined up for me? Do you, like, is this a good climate, right? How's the community? How's the school? Maybe if you have kids. And, and so we had all these questions, but Abram just goes. And you know, obviously we already see him trusting in the Lord there, but then he continue, God continues and God promises, I will make 
of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see God calling Abram and then he makes promises. He's pretty much showing Abram, I have chosen you and I'm going to make you a great nation. Now at that time, Abram has no children, and so obviously to make you a great nation, you know, there seems to be a promise of a child already from the beginning, and he says, I will make your name great. But then he also makes another promise. He says, I'll bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that part is very important, because that really what he's saying is, not only am I going to bless you, Abram, and not only am I going to bless your family and make you into a great nation, but also I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Now, I don't know if Abram understood what that really meant. Obviously, we now know what that means uh, through Christ and how you know Christ fulfills this promise. But we see how important this, this call and this promise to Abram is. And now in chapter 15, we're going to see it's just kind of a confirmation of this promise. And so Abram already knows these promises. He's already trusted in the Lord. He's already left his kindred. He's left his country. He's left his father's house. And he, however, at this point, still has no heir, right? He has no child that he can really just pass on to. But also, he, he has no land yet. And so he, he's trusted in the Lord. He left everything. Uh, he's wealthy at this point, And God is clearly blessing him. And yet, he has no heir, and also he has no land. So we've got to understand that context of what's going on here. Now, but also there's an immediate context. In chapter 14 of Genesis, Abram actually has to rescue his nephew Lot from, from four tribal leaders, right? So, so what ends up happening is his nephew Lot is kidnapped, and, and so Abram gets a bunch of men. He rescues Lot militarily. He attacks. He rescues his nephew, his family. But now... Right, commentators will say he's, he might be scared. Maybe they're thinking, what if there's retaliation? What if they come back and what if they attack me? So there's, there's, there's kind of that context as well as we're going into this passage where there's the greater promise from God. Uh, we have Abram rescuing Lot and maybe concerned about some retaliation from the people that he had to attack. But also in chapter 14, we see that Abram refuses the rewards of the king of Sodom. And so as we understand all of this, what happens in our passage today makes more sense because what happens in chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, where he's talking about what happened in chapter 14, the rescue of Lot uh, from, the, from the tribal leaders when he attacked them militarily, and also after he turned down uh, rewards from the king of Sodom, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, and God says to Abraham, fear not. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. So we, we get the context. I am your shield, meaning I will protect you. You don't have to worry about anybody retaliating. You don't have to worry about anybody attacking you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Why? Because I am your protector. I am your shield. And that's such an encouraging word right away. And it's a reminder for us as well that God is our shield. But he doesn't stop there. He also says, your reward shall be very great. Again, as a reminder, he's saying, look, you don't need to get wealth and riches from other kings or anything like that. Why? Because 
Not only am I your protector, not only am I your shield, your reward shall be great. I will be your reward. I will bless you. And so we see these encouraging words from God. But now, the way Abram responds, and here you see the beginning of his doubt that he expresses to God. That's really the, the first point today. I mean, today's message, I want to look at Abram's doubt, and I want to look at God's response, right? How God shows and proves his love and his commitment to Abram and, and his people, right? And we're going to see it twice where Abram doubts, God responds, and Abram's going to doubt again, and God's going to respond again in just an amazing way. And so we see, we see his doubt where Abram in verse 2 says, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So here, here is God saying to Abram, Look, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I am your reward. Great words. Very encouraging words. And instead of Abram saying yes and amen, thank you, God, praise you, God, he actually is very honest, and he expresses some doubt. And he says, Lord, you, you promised me these great things, but... I don't even have a child, right? I am childless. I have no heir. You have said that I will make you a great nation and right, you make your name great. And how does that start when I don't have a child? I have no heir. Does, is my heir going to be somebody from my house who's not my child, right? specifically Eliezer of Damascus? But you have given me no offspring. And so he's doubting. You promised me great things, but I don't even have a child. My heir will be my servant because I don't have an heir. You promised me a great nation to be a great nation. I have no son. These are strong words. But again, don't we sometimes question God? Don't we sometimes, maybe oftentimes, doubt him? Do we maybe not ask God, are you, are you really good? Are you really powerful, Lord? Or do you really care about me? Are you working for my good? Why do bad things happen to me? Why is my life so difficult? And we may have these moments. And again, for Abram, it's not unbelief, right? Like he, he believes in God. He trusts in God. He's already shown that leaving his home, leaving everything he knew, trusting that God will go, he will go where God leads him. And yet there are these moments of doubt. And I think if we're honest, we often have those times as well when life is difficult. Or when things happen and maybe they don't get better for a long time. Or maybe we're clinging on to some promises of God and we don't see how the promise is being fulfilled in our lives. Because God is all wise. God is all knowing, but we are not. And so we don't sometimes see what God is doing. We don't see his timeline. We don't see how he's moving behind the scenes, so to speak. And so we, we have these doubts. But how does God answer? Very kindly. Verse 5, well, verse 4, the Lord, he promises him, this man should not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Very good, strong words for Abram. And then, what does God do? Verse 5, he, he brings him outside, and he looks towards the heaven. He says to Abram, look towards the heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. So he, he, he gives him, not just words, he doesn't just say, 
you know, hey, I'm going to give you a son. Don't worry about it. No, no, he, he gives him a visual, just an illustration, just to, for able to understand better. He brings him outside. He shows him all the stars. Now, I think here in, in, you know, in the Northeast, New York, Jersey area, I think sometimes it's hard for us to see how many stars there are. You know, a lot of air pollution here. And, and so I think we just don't see. We have a lot of light pollution, I guess. So we have a lot of lights out, up in the sky. So we might see the skyline more clearly than we do uh, the stars. But if you go to maybe the countryside or if you've, you know, gone travel maybe closer to the equator, I mean, you, you go outside and you'll see beautiful stars. I remember... Uh, the first time I saw stars really beautifully, I think I was down in Trinidad and Tobago and on, a, on a mission trip, and I was looking up and just seeing so many stars, and it was like, amazing. And I remember just looking at the stars and trying to figure out different constellations, and I realized the only ones I can really put together are like the Big Dipper and maybe Orion's Belt, but there's so many stars in the sky. God tells Abram, look, look at these stars. You can't number them. There's too many. And then he says, so shall your offspring be. Wow. Powerful words. And, and, and Abram, I think he's moved by this. Verse 6, he says, he believed the Lord and it counted it to him as righteousness. Right? So now you got to realize something here. Abram didn't do anything. He didn't do anything righteous, really. He believed. He believed God's words. He believed God's promise. He said yes and amen. He believed. And God counted it to him as righteousness. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. And, and we see this um, principle really being just kind of worked out and really explained in the New Testament where Paul in Romans and Galatians and even and even James will, will actually expound upon this. And we're not going to go into this uh, too long today in this message, but it's an important concept in the New Testament, right? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so this, this, is, this is great. But then God makes another promise. He says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, this was something that God already had told him about land, but God is kind of reminding Abram, where well, I brought you out, and I'm going to give you this land to possess it. And so after Abram had just said to God, I, I believe, amen, right? he believed the Lord, God counted it to him as righteous, righteousness, you would think that, again, Abram would continue and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, of course. But actually, we see doubt again. Abram says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know, Lord? How do I know that, God, you're going to answer and fulfill all your promises? But also, how do I know that I am going to be able to be able to possess? How, you know, I think he has doubts about God. And honestly, it would appear he has doubts about even himself. How, how do I know, God, that I can possess it? And so again, we're reminded. Even us, you know, we may today say yes and amen. Maybe we may hear a, a sermon and say yes, amen. We may sing songs 
you know, like 10,000 reasons, and we may just think about how amazing and faithful God is, and we may say, bless the Lord, praise your name, we give you glory, and say yes and amen, and, and Lord, we, we trust in your promises, but then maybe tomorrow I don't, or maybe later today, something will happen, and something just makes me doubt, and maybe I will not fully trust again today. Yes, I trust in the Lord, right? I, I you know, I know that it is by grace I've been saved through faith, and, and I trust him, and I know how good he is. And yet there are moments when I ask again, God, how do I know you will keep your promises? We know your promises, but do I really always believe it? We think of Romans 8 where he says, God works for the good of those who love him. We say yes and amen. But again, are there times I doubt that? We think of Philippians 4 where, where we read that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But to always believe that, or, or in Philippians 1, 6, we read, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How comforting, how encouraging, but do I always believe that? When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Do I sometimes question these kinds of things? And we see again, Abram, questioning, where he says to the Lord, how? Am I to know? Show me, Lord. How am I to know that I should possess it? And here I think <clears throat> it's incredible how God responds. He doesn't rebuke him for the questions or the doubts. See, God doesn't rebuke Abram and say, you know, I already showed you the stars. And how do you doubt me again <clears throat> or question me again? <clears throat> Excuse me. Or ask me to show you. No. God actually shows and he proves his love and his commitment for his for Abram and for his people. We look at verse 9, and this is how God responds. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he says, he go get these animals. Now, if you notice in the passage, Abram knows what to do. God doesn't tell him what to do with these animals, but as soon as he says that, if you look at Verse 10, Abram brings those animals, he cuts them in half, and he laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And so what happens is he brings the animals, he cuts them, he splits them, but the birds, I guess because they're too small, he doesn't cut them, he just kind of separates the birds, and, and he, he lays them down. And then the birds of prey come down, and of course, Abram, he drives them away. And so what we see here is Abram immediately seems to know what to do, what God is about to do. Why? Because God and Abram both know what's going on. Now we don't. And so I think we need to, maybe I need to explain what's going on here. In, in, in Abram's time, right, in the ancient Near East, this was something that people did to make a contract, a, a covenant, a solemn binding contract, right? This is a covenant that they're about to make. And so we have to realize that their culture and our culture is different. Now, in our culture, we, 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 we sign things. We were a written culture, right? Sometimes we might make verbal agreements with people. Hey, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to pay you this amount of money or something like that. But the problem with a verbal contract or a verbal agreement is that I can, we can talk about it. We can agree to it. But maybe next week, you can say, we didn't say that. You can say, no, I didn't make that kind of promise. And, and I have no proof. I have no way to hold you to your word. 
And so if somebody gives me a quote to fix something and maybe they fix it and then they say, no, you know, that, you know, maybe, maybe they quoted me a thousand dollars, but then maybe they say, no, it was $2,000. And I say, no, it was a thousand. Really? It's just your word against mine. There's no, there's no proof of anything. There's no contract. There's no, there's no agreement. That's why, you know, in our society, what do we do? We, we make a contract. It's a written form. We sign it, right? Whether we're, you know, whether we're renting a property or buying something, whether we're fixing something, uh, we just, whatever we do, pretty much anything official, right? We, we, we sign a contract. And sometimes if it's really important, we'll you'll ask for witnesses for that. Sometimes you have to get it notarized, right? We need a notary who, who really, again, another extra layer of proof. Some people will have sealed and they seal it or they have a stamp or something like that. But, but there are ways in our, in our society where it's a way to bind. And really the contract is saying, if I do not keep my end of the bargain, if I do not keep my word, there are consequences to that. And I am promising that. And so we, we, we sign a contract and we have, it's, it's binding. It's a written, written culture. Now, in Abram's time, it's really more of an oral culture, not a written culture. And so what would happen, it's, it's a storytelling culture. And so what, what they would do is when they make a contract, when they make a covenant, they would act it out ritually. They would dramatize the consequences of breaking the covenant. So now, so now what we see here is we see these animals and they're cut in half. And now this is not the only way to make a covenant, but this was one of the ways you would make a covenant in that time. And so really what you would do is you would cut an animal and you would divide it in half and you would walk between the pieces. And what you were doing was identifying with the pieces. Really what you're saying is, if I do not keep my word, if I break this covenant, right, this contract that I have made, if I don't do all the words that I am saying today, may I be cut off, may I be cut up, may I die, and may I be like these animals. So that's really what you're saying. You're identifying with these animals, you're acting it out, and you're, and you're pretty much saying, look, I'm going to keep my word. I am serious about this covenant. I make this promise to you. I will keep it. And if I don't, the consequence will be, I will be like these animals. I will die. I will be cut up. I will be cut off. I'll be destroyed. So let this be done to me if I don't keep my promise. It's accountability. And it's hard to forget that kind of a covenant. It's hard to do that and forget what you promise. And so this was an effective thing. And so it would happen, and it would happen particularly when a king entered into a relationship with vassals, with servants. And so you know, if a king was to conquer a new land, and, and if he had servants and vassals, right, one of the things would be they would have this covenant ceremony. It would be a ritual, and, and the servants would come, and they would obviously you know, pledge loyalty, right, to, to the king. And, and, and the king would obviously then was supposed to take care of his, his, his subjects. And, you know, and you read that if the king was nice, maybe both the vassal and the king would go through. But if the king, you know, normally maybe the king wouldn't because he has all the cards. He's the one in authority. So maybe the king wouldn't even go through, right? But the vassal, the servant, would go through the pieces and pretty much pledge loyalty, right, and faithfulness. And if, if I don't do these things, may it be done to me as these animals. And so here we have this covenant. And so 
we, we look at the passage, he cuts them in half. And then, interestingly, verse 12, the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. So Abram's falling asleep. But then something weird happens. Behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And so we see not only is it dark because it's late, not only is Abram just get tired and falling asleep, but there's a dreadful and a great darkness just kind of falling on him, right? Something that's kind of serious. And the Lord says to Abram, he makes a promise. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. He doesn't tell Abram what's going to happen exactly where they're going to go. We know, obviously, later that's going to be Egypt. But he says that, you know, your offspring, you're going to have a lot of offspring, and they're going to be servants in Egypt. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. Now, we obviously know book of Exodus, all these things really do happen. God keeps his promise. And as for you, you should go to your fathers in peace. You should be buried in a good old age, and they should come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So what is God promising? He's saying, look, what's going to happen is you're going to have an heir, and you're going to have many children, many offspring, and they're going to go to another land. They're going to be sojourners there, and there'll be servants there. They'll be afflicted. They're going to be miserable for 400, and then for 400 years, they're going to be there, but they're going to come back. They're going to come out with great possessions. And he says, they'll come back here, right? The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And he's saying, he's saying the, the, the land that I promised you, it's going to happen, but not in your lifetime. No, it's actually going to be many, many years later, hundreds of years later, and then your offspring will come. He's making this promise. And really, it's a covenant, right? Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Really, he's cutting a covenant, right? Because we obviously with blood here. And in verse 17 says, when the sun had gone down, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he says, and it's a lot of words here, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, to the great river, the, uh, the river, from the, no, I'm sorry. To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and then you know, to the land of, and there's all these people groups, right, that he's talking about. But he makes a covenant with Abram, and he, to do that, we see that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between pieces. Now, again, as we talked about, it was typical of a servant, right, of a vassal to go through the pieces, right? But here in this passage, it's actually really, really weird, and it's incredible, because what happens is we have a theophany, right? Theophany is when we see uh, just a visible manifestation of God and the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. The flaming torch is like, it's like lightning that's not really going anywhere, right? And, and, and we see a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, which are visible manifestations of God himself, and it's passing between these pieces. Now, this, these words, smoking fire pot, flaming torch, they're hard to translate. And what, one thing we do know is we see these kind, of, these kind of words also in the book of Exodus. And, 
right? We we see them and on Mount Sinai, um, as as you know, and we also see it with the pillar of cloud and the you know and the pillar of fire, and, and so we see this visible manifestation of God Himself, and He is passing through these pieces. Again, it's weird. God is the one in authority. God is the king, right? And, and, and Abram is the servant. And so you would think Abram should be going through. Abram probably himself thought when he was putting these animals to the side that I'm going to have to go through these things and really pledge loyalty to God. But no, 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 he doesn't do that. God goes through these animals. And really God is saying, if I do not keep my promise to you, if I do not keep this covenant, if I break this, may it be done to me. May I be cut off. May I die. <clears throat> may I be like these animals? I mean, and that makes no sense because God cannot die, obviously. And so it's God's way of saying, of course, I will keep my promise to you. That's amazing. He's showing Abram his faithfulness, his, his, his promises are secure. I would not go back on these promises. But here's the thing. The other thing that we see is God went through these animals but Abram doesn't. God doesn't say, hey, I went through. Now, Abram, your turn. You go through. And we have this covenant. No, no, no. God goes through the pieces. He passed between the pieces. And then the Lord makes a covenant with Abram. Really, what is God saying? He's saying, if I break this covenant, may this be done to me. But really, essentially, God is saying, it's a one-sided covenant. Even if you disobey Abram, even if you don't fulfill what you need to do, I will pay the price. That's, that's incredible. God is saying, even if you, because God's not going to break his covenant. God is going to be faithful. But even if you are the one that is disobedient, if you should fail, I will absorb the cost. I will be torn apart. I will take the penalty. Now, Abram probably had no idea what the cost of that oath would mean. But centuries later, what do we see? At the sixth hour, right? Mark chapter 15 says, at the sixth hour, which is noon, which is 12 o'clock, darkness came down. Right? The darkness envelopes the cross. It envelopes Calvary. And what happens on the cross? Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ is forsaken on the cross. Isaiah 53 says that he was cut off from the land of the living. Cut off. It's covenant language, right? It's a curse. Jesus at the cross is in the dark. He's forsaken. He's cut off. And, and what we're seeing is God is saying to Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, you believe in me. I count it to you as righteousness. And if you're in this relationship with me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep my promises. But here's the thing. Even though God is faithful, we are not, and we're going to disobey him. We're going to break our promises, we are not going to be faithful. And because of our disobedience, because of our sin, we need to be punished, right? We need to be like these animals. We need to die. We need to be cut off. But what happens is Christ comes 
God himself comes into this world. He takes our place. And he is cut up and he is cut off and he is forsaken and he dies the death that we deserve. He is punished for our sake. He pays a penalty for our sins. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us all through Jesus Christ. How amazing are those words. And so what we see is God is saying to Abraham, I will bless you no matter what, even if you are sinful, even if you fail, even if you are disobedient, because he will be all those things. And God is saying, because I will pay the penalty, right? Christ came to the cross. He paid the penalty. He died the death we deserve. He took our place. He was cursed so that we could be blessed. He was forsaken so we could be forgiven. And so we know, even though we are not righteous in and of ourselves, because Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, because he has covered us with his righteousness, we are forgiven, we are saved, we are blessed, we are children of God, and there is nothing that can keep us from the love of God, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Abram was blessed. God kept his promises to Abram, and he loves us and blesses us, and he keeps out his promises to us. So how do we respond? There, we respond with love. We respond with obedience. We respond with faith and faithfulness. We see this faithfulness and we trust in the Lord. He is our shield. He is our reward. He protects us. Right? He rewards us. He blesses us. He is truly all that we need. Right? Romans 8.32, right? If God would not spare his own son, what would he not do for us? And we see Abram, he has a son, Isaac. And, and through his son and his line, Christ, he comes to the line of Abram. And we see who Christ is. He has promised to bless all the families of the earth. It happens through Christ. We are blessed through Christ. And so we don't trust in the things of the world. But we trust in him. We trust in the Lord. And we love him because he first loved us. And here's the thing. There are going to be days that we have doubts. There are going to be days that we struggle. But what do we do? Just like God showed Abram his covenant faithfulness through this amazing act of him going through the pieces. What do we do? Whenever we have done, whenever we have struggles, whenever we're not sure, we're saying, God, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. When, when that happens, what do we do? We look to the cross. And we see how Christ took our place, how he died the death that we deserve, how he was so faithful, and how much he loves us, how he took our place and he forgives us and he continues to love us today and he will love us for all eternity. He has a home in heaven prepared for us and the Holy Spirit is with us right now. As we think about all of these things, then we overcome our doubts and our struggles as we, because we look to him, our promise keeper. We look to him who is so faithful. We look to him who is our covenant keeper. We look to his steadfast love and we say, Lord, thank you.
I trust in you. I put my confidence in you. And I want to love you and worship you with all that I have and all of my life, with all of my life. And I hope that is our prayer. I hope that is our encouragement. I hope that is our hearts today. Let us pray.